This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Well, Happy New Year. In today's episode, we'll be answering your questions. And don't forget, if you have a question or comment, send that to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. It's uh, it's a brand new year, and it's time to start all those New Year's resolutions like new ratings, etc. And don't forget to listen to Stuck Mike Avcast on which flight school is best for you. I think that's a great podcast. Uh, it's prescient for this podcast, too. And that's at Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, anyway, a couple of announcements before we get started, and hopefully this will be a wonderful 2018 for you. Uh, we will this month be uh, from January 24th through 27th at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo in Sebring, Florida. Uh, for actually, for more information on that, you can go to sportaviationexpo.com. Also, don't forget to visit our Facebook page. We can find out more about all the events we will be attending. Hope to see you guys there and uh, look for us in the orange polo shirts. And if you have a story you want to tell the people on the podcast, a success story, you have questions you want to ask me, ask them live. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, just find me. Again, I'll be the, the guy in the, the orange shirt there. We're going to have a couple of people doing interviews at the uh, USC Bring, the Sport Aviation Expo, the Affordable Aircraft Expo. They've changed the name a few times, but they have some, some really really, really cool people that will be coming by. I think uh, Story Musgrave will be there, and uh, he's one of the astronauts uh, in the shuttle program, and you'll want to listen to his story. Really, really neat person. Also, a couple other announcements before we get going is uh, coaching pricing is staying the same for 2018 at $75 an hour. And, uh, of course, we have the the guaranteed, you know, uh, interview preparation uh, coaching, and that's for specific airlines, and you'll just have to write to us about that. For the majors, it's $500. For the regionals, $250 for the the guaranteed. Otherwise, it's just $75 an hour. We do, like, career counseling, interview prep, resume, cover letter review, and just about anything else you want to talk about, about moving forward in your career whether you're changing careers or you're just getting started trying to figure out what school to go to. The other thing is we come up with action items by the end of the of each of the episodes, excuse me, each of the sessions, and you can move forward in your career because you're you're going through those action items and you're actually doing everything and we, we get feedback. Sometimes one uh, coaching session is enough, sometimes three, five, depending on where you are in your career and what type of preparation you need. Go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. Well, here with us today, of course, uh, is back with us is Robert Geyer. Robert uh, has been a very great resource for us, having been in the world of recruiting, have been in the world of doing uh, actually interview prep, and also in the world of actually interviews uh, with a regional airline. And that was uh, formerly at ExpressJet Airlines, uh, some of the people that came by with us a while ago. So hey, Robert, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And also, uh, Happy New Year. I forgot to, to say that. Happy New Year to you also. Well, thank you. Happy New Year, Carl, and uh, thanks for having me on again. <laughs> and it's great. I think a lot of people are moving towards their career goals, and I know they're starting the new year trying to make those New Year resolutions, and we're going to help them out. Uh, some of the questions, Robert, if you notice uh, as you were looking over them, uh, are from a few months ago. I, like I said, we reprioritized a few of them, and uh, some of the folks we've actually didn't answer their questions because we thought they may be a guest on the show, and then they may not have been, so we went back to answer those. Uh, so anyway, so let's, um, what do you say we get started, Robert, uh, with our first question here? 
Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's see. This uh, person writes in, and again, we're going to abbreviate some of these because there's some uh, personal information in here. Uh, first off, I'd like to say thank you for creating this informa- informative podcast about aviation careers in general. I stumbled across your podcast a little over a month ago, and I've been hooked ever since. Just finished episode 50, The Truth About the Pilot Shortage, which was really helpful for me on shedding some light about the idea of a pilot shortage. Uh, this person goes on to talk about they were uh, in a degree program in Canada and uh, actually had a couple of failures during uh, just because a lack of, of uh, studying during the uh, process of getting degrees and that kind of thing. Uh, and that person continues, says, I've come to terms that my incompetency to study is what caused this failure, and I blame myself every single day. I'm so fortunate that despite this flaw, my parents are still supportive of me and are willing to do what it takes to help fund my licenses and fees. So I accept my failures and decide that I will never reach my goals if I complain rather than doing something about it. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, I'm glad you're moving forward in your career and saying to yourself, yeah, I'm going to move on to your uh, training. And you're going to, uh, and he goes on to talk about how they're going to, he's going to continue you know, finish up his uh, ATP, multi-engine IFR ratings. Um, but the question is this. Uh, he's realized that he ha- that he, I have no competitive advantage compared to others who have a degree, but I don't want this idea to stop me from achieving my goal of becoming an airline pilot one day. So it doesn't have a degree, but um, given my credentials and bad history with flight school degree program, how can someone like me make it towards my goal. I'm not as interested in becoming an instructor, but if I have to, I definitely will, since I absolutely love flying and will do whatever it takes to make it. Once I've attained my multi-IFR, I'm not entirely sure the next step that I should take. I'll continue listening to the podcast as the days go by, since they are absolutely crucial to my career, and I enjoy every single minute of them. Any advice uh, will be rewarding, especially from a person like you, who I'm inspired by each day. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, again, we didn't get into all the, the personal stuff there, but here's someone who went through a degree program and didn't do so well, but is wanting to get their licenses, uh, doesn't maybe have a degree, and was wondering how competitive they will be in the regional world. You know, Robert, I know when you got hired with the uh, regionals, you didn't actually have uh, the bachelor's. I think you had the associates. That's correct? I didn't even have the uh, associates, actually. I had enough credits to get the associate, but no, I, I went into the airlines without my bachelor's. That is correct. And that was at a time that was much more competitive than it is now. That is also correct. Yeah. So so how would you answer this person? Well, first, I really like the attitude, um, as, as you mentioned previously, Carl, about, hey, you know what? I made some mistakes, but I can identify those mistakes, and now I can move on. So that's a really good attitude to have. Um, I think that's going to go far. Uh, I would say absolutely. If this is what you want to do, don't give up. Keep plugging and uh, figuring out the ways to make yourself competitive. Uh, there are opportunities that you can get jobs flying and work on your degree as you're flying. Uh, I know with with my particular uh, circumstance, I did online degree as I was flying uh, for the regionals. So there's definitely those opportunities out there. And the fact that hey, you know what? Like you said, you made mistakes. Don't let that get you down. Uh, that's all in the past, and, and just keep plugging and looking for those those ways that you are going to move forward. And and like I think, Carl, this is why I like this podcast so much is because you're all about taking the small steps every day. And so every day, just just do that little bit of something. You know, uh, build a little flight time, do studying towards the next rating, uh, figure out hey, how can what can I do to make myself competitive? What are my 
educational uh, roads that I can pass that I can take to, to get that goal to put myself competitive in the market. So um, I think that just the attitude you have so far, if you keep that attitude, I think that that will serve you well as you progress towards your, your ultimate goal. Don't let failures stop you, no matter what. I mean, this is, uh, I, I know we talk about it as a failure, and that's a bad word, but, you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we fail at something, and you just have to pick yourself up and move forward. It's very difficult to do, believe me. Uh, and, you know, you get down psychologically, but, you know, that was yesterday, and you look at yourself today, figure out who you are and why you're different. It may only be the fact that, like you said, it's your attitude, and that's important, and you've changed that. So now you're starting today to move forward. So keep looking forward, and please keep us updated as to your progress. I'd love to hear more about it. Anyway, moving on to the next uh, question. It says, I just wanted to give you a quick update on where I am and what I'll be doing to pursue an amazing career in aviation. I've left the corporate world to pursue something a little more authentic, that being an aviation career. After receiving my private pilot's license from a Part 61 school, I'll be finishing my training at ATPs in Colorado. As someone who is 23 and didn't exactly have a clue of what exactly I wanted to do in terms of a career, I'm very happy that I've dabbled and looked into many different careers. It has led me to a time of self-discovery and soul-searching, where I've discovered a lot about who I am and what I want out of life. I think the sense of reward, teamwork, adventure... And all that comes with being a pilot makes this career something that is hard to find in many other careers. I would love to get on the show and explain and share my journey along the way. We'd love to have you. Uh, go ahead and uh, send us an email, and we will send you a video on how you can be a guest on the show. This brings up a good point, though. I uh, love your story, and I love the inspiration. If you want to be on the show, uh, send us feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. We will send you a video on how to be a guest on the show, what equipment you need. It's not much, and we would love to hear your story. We'd also, if you come from a unique perspective, and you're in a different career in aviation, we want to hear about it. And we want people to know about it because if a lot of folks are thinking about other things other than being a pilot, I know we're concentrating so much on that right now just because of the, the extreme shortage of pilots right now. Anyway, moving on to the next question. It says, hello, I just started listening to your podcast, and I'm looking to see if you have a podcast that I have missed when listening or if you could answer or have someone on the podcast talking about starting pilot license at late 30s and making it a career. Here I am. I am 36 and I've always been a fan of aviation and flight simulator games. I've only flown twice and I keep pushing my urge down because of work, kids, etc. I recently completed an introductory flight and for sure want at least to get my private pilot. Here's what I do. I work for a government entity and will be able to retire in seven years with a full pension. However, not being able to collect for another seven years after my 20 years of service. I do not have a college degree, and I'm wondering if at my age, would it pay off to go back to school and try to get into a major airline, or what positions will be out in the world for someone that has a high school diploma, and after course, I obtain my commercial licenses. Thanks for the help. Well, we just talked about this in the other one, and uh, number one, uh, if you're getting out of the government work and... uh, Depending on what that may be, if it's a military, et cetera, there is some preference in, in a lot of different places for hiring people that are ex-government employees and also uh, ex-military. I know my company, we definitely give preference to ex-military. Starting your pilot's licenses at 30, uh, that actually, I started my licenses in my 20s, but I kind of stopped for a long time and then finally started uh, in my 30s as far as a career. I was 33 years old 
uh, when I started my career. And that was a little bit later. Uh, a lot of people said I was crazy to do it. This, again, was in a time that uh, things weren't that great yet. Uh, and then in the 2000s, of course, things really blossomed. 2001, things kind of died uh, and in the career. And I stuck with it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, so if you're someone that loves this career, you'll stick with it. But you'll you may have to go back to doing some other things while you have to you pay your bills uh, during the downturns. I know it's hard to talk about downturns, but they happen. They're going to happen in your lifetime. You're only 36 years old. They're going to happen in every person's lifetime. Uh, there's upturns and there's downturns. Having a college degree is important at some point. Uh, knowing that you're going to school is important. But you just heard from Robert. Uh, you know, he said, "Listen, he doesn't have he didn't have a degree when he got hired." And I think it's really important that you know you you move forward. And Robert, I, I hopefully you agree with that. I mean, even without the degree, there's lots of jobs out there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, there is. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think. So, 36 years old is really quite young, actually, compared to some of the people that are just getting in the career. I mean, it's kind of the the I'd say the me, median or mm-hmm. the uh, the mean. Uh, <laughs> trying to think yeah. back to the seventh grade math. Yeah, yeah, median and most. <laughs> it probably is about uh, the average, isn't it? People getting into yeah, this. Man, yeah, man, math in public, it's yeah. terrible. No, don't but, do uh, that. Yeah, I know, I know. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely 100% doable at that age. And the fact that if you do choose to go back and get a degree, it wouldn't make you more uh, competitive. But at the same time, there's a lot of jobs out there. And right now, with the way that the the pilot market is, you can get into those jobs without a degree because there is such a demand. Now, if you do want to move on to that, he did mention major airline in there. Let's say you start now and you get your flight time and your degree. You have roughly what? I will we'll be conservative. Eight years. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you get into a major airline or, or an airline by eight years, you still have 20 years left in that career field at, at flying for an airline. And so that's that's a, a lot of time to kind of kind of get your ducks in a row and position yourself towards that goal if that's what you want to do. If you don't want to go to the airlines, there's tons of, I know right now that there's tons of corporate jobs hiring. Everyone's hiring right now because there is a shortage. So hopefully things keep going like that. There's no ba- major uh, hiccups in the economy. But right now, I, I would say that he could position himself well for a, a, a good job, a great job, even without the degree right now in the, in the career field. Plus, he has, uh, if you're in a government job, seven years, you get your pension also, uh, you know, health care, et cetera. You're in a really strong position. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, life is good. And there's so many people. Well, think about this. Look at all the military folks. That's what they do. They go in, they get their 20 years, they retire, and they come out and they fly for the airlines. Uh, it's, you're in a great position, especially if you can get your CFI and you start making money on the side flying. By the time you're done with everything and you retire, you may wind, you know, wind up going right into uh, possibly a major, probably a regional at that point. Uh, and uh, especially depending on the demand at that time. So great question. I really appreciate that. Anyway, let's move on to the next question here. Uh, it says, first of all, I truly love listening to your podcast and your partner, Stuck Mike Avcast, that I discovered around a year ago. I've downloaded every episode and I'm caught up, now anticipating the next release of the show. I've learned a lot and I've taken on many different perspectives of this business. Uh, anyway, going back, Stuck Mike Avcast, of course, is a general aviation podcast, but you can learn a lot. Uh, we go over things like uh, VFR and IFR rules and that type of thing, and that all applies. Uh, flying is flying, whether you have a Cessna or you're flying a Citation or you're flying an Airbus. It's uh, similar rules all throughout. Anyway, he moves on. He says, uh, my goal is to break into corporate flying, and but I have not closed doors to other operations such as regionals. I'm a big aviation enthusiast by involving myself in all aspects of aviation. I'm ready for that move toward a pilot career. 
a little bit about myself. I'm a 22-year Navy veteran, so I'm using my GI Bill to pursue my advancement as a pilot, recently achieving my airplane single-engine land commercial instrument. In the Navy, I was a jet engine mechanic and instructor, flight engineer, with around 5,000 hours. That's great. Oh, and by the way, thanks for your service. I used my experience and went out and earned my AMP certificate and used my private pilot to get my remote pilot SUAS certificate. Uh, small U.S. certificate, that's uh, that's great that you did that. It's neat to, to just learn about the other part of the world. Uh, he continues, I've held many positions in the Navy to name a few, such as operations manager, maintenance control with a release safe for flight authorization, and functional check flight engineer. I currently instruct foreign militaries on maintenance and flying military aircraft. I feel I'm very dynamically qualified in aviation, except getting in the right seat. So finally, the question. How does a person get to that corporate position outside of pure luck being at the right place at the right time with such low pilot hours, about 200, and living in northeast Florida? It came very easy for me in the military and now struggle on how to grow toward my dreams in the civil aviation world. Sorry this went longer than planned. Thank you so much. P.S. If any part of my background might help others and you have questions, I am gladly to reciprocate any help. Yes, that's great. We actually ask all of our people that write in that have something unique in the background uh, to, you know, other listeners, if they hear something, send it feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. And due to privacy issues, obviously, we will send it through the email to them and they, they will get back to you or answer through this podcast. Anyway, getting back to your question, pure luck, I would say the best thing to do is network, 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 as far as corporate jobs, and if that's what you really want to get into, uh, it's getting out there and, and networking all over the place. No matter what part of the world you live in, it's uh, it's a networking opportunity. Sometimes you may have to move uh, to get involved in certain corporate jobs. Also, a neat thing is when you if you decide to become a flight instructor, uh, you can actually move on to instructing at, a, at any of the schools, at any of the places in the United States, and a lot of times, uh, again, your network grows because those people hire from those those schools. I know I had the opportunity to fly in some corporate because of the flight school I was out. And Robert, uh, I remember you said that you actually got a couple opportunities. Uh, so I think um, not just pure luck, but I think networking is, is incredibly important. I think, Robert, that helped you, didn't it? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I know I went the airline route, but I was open to the corporate route. And uh, I'll share just kind of a quick story and I'll make it real brief. But one of my flight instructors worked for a co- ended up working for a company that was based around where, where the airport was that I was flying out of. And one day he took me, he, they were evacuating aircraft up to the main hangar uh, in Lakeland. And he said, hey, Rob, come with me. Let's go. So I went with him and he walked me into the uh, the chief pilot over there's office and said, "Hey, this is this is Rob Geyer. He's really interested in working for you. Once he gets his time, I really hope you give him a consideration." And we just talked and we chatted. So, it's one of those things of um, my point in the story is it's one of those things of of it, yes, being at the right place at the right time, right? A little bit of that divine intervention, but also that networking, uh, having people, you know respect who you are as a person, you know, be friendly, be kind, uh, be courteous, uh, have all those great attributes and, and, and network with people. But, uh, it, 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 I've, the people who I know that are in corporate and I actually applied to a, a corporate gig before I got on to where I'm at now. Uh, I don't, did you know that Carl, that I have my, my yeah. app out with a, uh, with a corporate, uh, I yeah, think it was, I did actually, I remember you talking about it. Yes. Yeah, so the only reason, again, that came through networking of people, that I knew and those people knew people. And that's how I ended up talking to that, 
specific flight department. It d- actually did not end up working out because at the time we were, we were in the middle of an adoption and we couldn't leave the area. So I had to tell that flight department, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not interested anymore because of this, but hopefully our cross will pass one day soon. But, um, yeah, it, it all comes down to networking and who you know uh, and, and being friendly. Really just, you know, I encourage people to go out and be airport bums sometimes. If you can, <laughs> if you've got a great local airport, just go hang out and start meeting people because that's that's really the only reason I got to where I'm at is meeting people and getting the right contacts and and people just – who are willing to to mentor new people coming up in the career and people who are, are willing to, you know, help help someone out and, and pay it forward because that's what you know, that's the that's a path that happened to them, right? People help <laughs> help them out and then they pay it forward and then when, it, when it's our turn we pay it forward so th- hanging out at airports you meet all kinds of people like that who can open up all kind of great doors for you but uh, absolutely network 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 especially for corporate you have to network airport bum i like that description and uh yeah i remember you talking briefly about the corporate job and boy i tell you it's a great opportunity uh flying corporate a lot of people ask me why we concentrate so much on on the airline aspect and one of the reasons is that even if you do want to get a corporate job someday it's uh it's really easy to get a uh, job with the airlines and it helps you build a lot of hours especially if you need the hours with certain corporate jobs uh, a certain number of hours you can build them at the regionals and then move on obviously uh we have somebody here on the podcast tom wachowski who did the same thing built a lot of hours in the regionals went on uh into the corporate world and now i think he's sitting as an assistant chief or chief pilot where he is now so something that you have to look at it really is uh it's a great way to build time is uh, working at the regionals that's for sure but uh again with the corporate jobs i've heard of people getting hired with gosh only a couple hundred hours so they also by the way if they really really like you they can change the insurance um depending on how much they like you and who the owner is of the corporation so that can be done so just uh, think about that and, and carl uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i know a lot of these or at least from my understanding of it and again my knowledge is definitely a lot more limited than the airline side of things but with the corporate job the networking comes in because i hear that they really like to hire guys that they can put a face to the mm-hmm. to the resume have you heard that Oh yeah. Is that in your experience kind of the truth that oh, once they sure. see your face and are able to actually get that physical handshake and hey, okay, I can put the face to the resume now that that helps you out quite a bit. And that's uh, that's why they press the flesh and that's why it's very important. You're, you're, and the face uh, to the resume is very important. You know, we talk about that in the pilot jobs uh, book course that we have online. Is uh, really getting to know somebody on a more personal basis is incredibly important, especially in the corporate world. It's uh, it's all about the people that they hire, and you know you have to. To have that relationship with that person uh, and it can be a very short-lived relationship but if they look at you and say hey, i like this person uh we want to we want to take this person on so yes very very important uh anyway i would say just keep looking uh keep networking become an airport mom like robert said and i'm sure you will find uh find that job and keep us updated as to your your progression really really would, uh, appreciate it and then also thank you for offering um some advice to those people that have a similar background, and we'll uh, forward if anybody has questions to uh, to you in that feedback at aviationcareerspodcast dot com. Anyway, uh, moving on, the next person asks: uh, Before purchasing the scholarships guide, could you tell me whether you list any scholarships for middle aged private pilots with a degree to move beyond the private rating? Yes, we do. Uh, but he does continue. Much of what I found applies to four year degree programs or non pilots or demographic membership. Every dollar deferred by a scholarship helps, and I would. 
I hope to avoid purchasing the book only to find that few slash none are applicable to my demographic. Look forward to engaging you for some career management very soon. Grateful for the podcast. Yes, there are some out there. The majority are for those people, obviously, because that's the majority of the scholarships are for those people looking at a uh, at a four-year degree program. But even those scholarships, like, for instance, some of the, um, I talk about aerobatic scholarships. Even some of those aerobatic scholarships are for students that have good grades. So, well, you're not a student right now. So, yeah, we do have some obviously the ones for the Airbus ratings and for the 737 type ratings uh, those are different there's some that are for continuing to fly so I'd say about a quarter of the scholarships are for those people that are, are moving forward in their careers uh, if you're in a school and you're looking for a scholarship there are some that are if you're enrolled in a program obviously there's some that uh, are for anybody of any any grade level etc um, but uh, yes it's uh, the majority, and I'm not going to say they're, they're not out there, but the, the majority are for those people looking for degrees. But there is a bunch out there, a bunch of money out there. We're, we're constantly moving towards more and more of those scholarships for people that um, are actually looking to get into it as a second career. Uh, so keep on looking, and another little secret, go to Google, do a search. Uh, that could take you a long time, uh, but if you have the time, it's it's uh, they're out there. They really are. Um, but uh, anyway, we are coming out with the 2018 guide, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the next month or so as far as, as what we've included in, in the new version of it. Uh, anyway, the uh, next question coming up, actually, and, and thanks so much for that question, uh, aerospacescholarships.com is the best way to find out. Oh, and if you want to look at the actual scholarships we have out there, you can download it off of Amazon or look at the, you know, get a sample, and it'll give the list of all the different scholarships out there to see if the, any of them that would actually apply to you. Uh, next question actually comes from uh, Jan Sears from uh, California Highway Patrol. He's a pilot there, and uh, he offered to come on the show, and this shows you how far back we are on some of the questions. We had skipped over his question for a while. I just want to uh, just iter- reiterate thanks to Jan uh, Sears for coming on. That was in episode 150. Uh, he was a California Highway Patrol pilot and a really interesting individual, uh, very dynamic and very inspirational. So go check out uh, what he has to say about the career as a California Highway Patrol pilot. He truly is a passionate aviator. Again, Jan, thanks for writing in and thanks for volunteering to be on the show. I really appreciate that. Really good stuff. Really good information. Moving on to our next question. This is actually somebody who has a lot of questions involved, and this is some some really good stuff. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on the different questions that he asks uh, because it really is uh, it's really interesting. He, he almost summarizes many different questions that people send into the show. So here we go. We're going to go slowly through each of the paragraphs of his questions because uh, he does have some very, very good ones. Anyway, says, Hello, everyone at Aviation Careers Podcast. First off, I want to say how much I love listening to your podcast, and I'm learning quite a lot. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, so bear with me. Uh, I'm 17 years old and I'm dying to become a pilot. I'm trying to learn what I can do to become one. Uh, I wanted to know what kind of opportunities lie ahead of me. Well, those are all good questions. So let's go to the action ones. Uh, What paths would you suggest taking if you could do it over again? I'm going to be a senior in high school this year, and how can I become a pilot during the school year is another question. Uh, Would you say to wait until I graduate and do an accelerated flight school program or something else? I'm also considering going to local schools, uh, the different colleges in the area. Do you have any other schools that you recommend, and uh, how about just doing it privately? Okay, so there's lots of questions. Uh, what paths do you suggest if you could do it over again? We talked about that one in an episode. Um, it really depends. Uh, the path you actually went 
down is going to be different than if you had to do it over again because times are different. Uh, you know, when I was looking at getting into aviation, there was a recession and there was nobody getting hired. Uh, 5,000 hours is what you needed to get hired at a regional airline. And remember back then, you also couldn't get hired with the majors if you wore glasses at some of the major airlines. So, uh, you know, you used to see all these advertisements for ways to change your vision to 2020. That is a long time ago. So, uh, you know, yeah, would I do different things different? Yeah, maybe if I knew they were going to change the rules, etc. Uh, also, if, uh, but you don't know, you can't, you can't predict the future. So the me- most important thing, though, I will say just to summarize all these questions, get your flight hours uh, and eventually get your degree. But the, one of the most important things at this point is flight hours because of the fact that you are <laughs> you're going to get hired by a regional if you can move those hours up as quick as possible. I'm assuming as far as the degree that you're talking about, uh, I'm assuming it's because of the fact that maybe you don't have uh, – I don't know the time or inclination to go to college right away and you want to do like more of an online type of course. But, uh, but if you are going to go that route, remember this, that there's a lot of opportunities to get scholarships if you're going towards a degree program where you would not have to pay for any of it. So you would get your degree and you would get your, your actually flight school. You're actually flying paid for something to really consider about going to some of these four year programs. Uh, and that's why at your age being so young, I would, I would definitely consider doing something like that. Something that you would actually want to do and also get a degree in is pretty exciting. And you'll probably do a lot better if you can actually uh, concentrate on that. So anyway, Robert, do you have anything else? I know there's a lot of different questions in that as far as, you know, considering his age being so young, uh, I know you did somewhat similar. You actually, you know, jumped in there and were right into the airlines at a very young age. Yeah. Um, I was trying to pick out which uh, question I wanted to answer here. Uh, he asked if he's going to, you know, he's going to be a senior in high school this year. So how can he become a pilot during the school year? Well, uh, that's interesting because that's kind of the path I took and I graduated my senior year with my instrument rating. So I would say absolutely. It's definitely possible, especially if you have the financial means to do it. I worked, I ended up working out at the, uh, the airport. If there's a local airport by you again, goes back to the whole airport bump thing. But, uh, <laughs> if you if you can, uh, go start hanging out at the airport and meeting people, man, what a great time to start. If you can find a nice, uh, FBO that will, you know, kind of facilitates that environment where you can just come hang out and talk about airplanes with other pilots and, and just hang out. Man, that's the first place to get your foot in the door and then start taking flight lessons, too, if you if you have the financial means. Absolutely. And even I would almost recommend trying to get a job out there uh, because that's uh, that I learned so much working line um, in Tampa. Uh, as I was in high school, I, I worked a line and field aircraft and all that stuff. And I learned so much about aviation from doing that. I learned as much about aviation from doing that as I did earning my flight, uh, my flight ratings and my private, my instrument through high school. So yes, absolutely. That's one way you can do it. If you can find a local FBO and that will set you up. If you do decide he's, he's mentioning about, uh, you know, wanting to go to maybe an accelerated flight program. If you're able to, if you're able to get knock a couple ratings out in high school, uh, usually that might be why, you know, it's on a cheap, why you have, you know, you're living under your parents' roof and you have those expenses accounted for and you can knock that out. It might make it a little bit cheaper when you go to do the accelerated flight program. And so, uh, I'd say that, that might be just something to consider. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And as far as, as far as that path, well, Carl, you know, we had quite a few, quite a few of us that went to the same high school that all hung out at the airport. I mean, <laughs> sure did. Uh, you had Jesse on the show. He was one of them. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. 
yeah, there is what about five, five or six of us who ended up doing that. So if there's an airport by you, um, that's, you know, close by and you can just go hang out and see what they have out there. Maybe take a few flight lessons to get going. Uh, I would, I would strongly recommend it. Interesting that you mentioned that because just going over those same people that you're talking about, one is flying a, he's flying a, what, a 767 right now for a cargo airline, I think. He's still doing that. Yep. And yeah, he's in a training department actually over there. Oh, well, there you go. Gosh. And then the other person is uh, Jesse Ziegler. He, we've had him on the show way, way back. He does revenue management in an airline. Really cool stuff. Still in aviation, but doing the thing he wants to do in aviation. And then you uh, also have another individual who, and this wasn't at the same high school, I don't think, same year. I might be confusing this one person. But actually, this one individual who was my student for a little while, he is the, he will be the most senior pilot at the airline I work for right now when he retires. He'll be the number one pilot. And he did kind of an accelerated training type of program, you know, right after high school, you know, did the, you know, soloing when he was, you know, right 16 and all that kind of stuff, 17, got his license, et cetera. And uh, I'm trying to think what the others are, are doing now, but um, is one you'll of you'll have to tell me who that is later. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> and it may be it may be a different person that I'm thinking of. It may be someone who's just a couple years older. But uh, it was it, here's what's interesting: is there are so many people that were similar age wise. There was a lot of 16 and 17 year olds hanging out at the airport when I was instructing. They did the same thing. They went out there, they soloed. And they went on, got their degrees. This one individual I'm talking about, he finished his private and jumped into one of those accelerated flight schools, went on to work for uh, uh, another company that had uh, Piaggio's and then went wound up going from there to the airlines. Very, very interesting how he so quickly moved up. And because of his age, remember, the, it's all based on seniority and also based on your age, You know how, uh, how, how high up you'll go. Uh, he'll be number one when he actually retires. Uh, as an example, I'm a lot older when I got on with the airline. I will be probably about 1,000 or 1,100 when I retire with the airline I'm in right now because of my age. Uh, in other words, there's so many other people that are younger than me above me because uh, we all have to retire at 65. Interesting question, though. Uh, and you're in a, by the way, you're in a great spot. You're only 17, uh, which I know people tell you that. But just move forward as fast as you can. Do it in the way that you want to do it and have fun with it. Enjoy the ride. Uh, and uh, things are different today. They'll be di different a year from now. And now airlines are paying for so much now as far as uh, your ratings, et cetera, uh, moving forward. Uh, okay, he continues on with his other question. We'll kind of finish up with this one here with his questions uh, for this episode because he has so many. But uh, he continues with, could you explain exactly how riding jump seat works? Do you have to be in the uniform or can you ride if you're a pilot in that airline or in a partner airline? Uh, actually, yeah. You actually, uh, some airlines, they want you to be in uniform, but normally it's business attire. Uh, usually meaning a collared shirt. Most people show up in uniform because they're, they're moving or they're going from one place to the next. It can't be in truly casual attire. It has because you are in the cockpit. You are an additional crew member, ACM as they call it. And that person in the cockpit is somebody who may be called upon uh, to help out, say, with an evacuation, etc. So therefore, you are an additional crew member. You have to have your medical with your, your pilot's license, etc. There also has to be what's called a jump seat agreement between you and the other airline. Uh, my airline, we have about 130 different airlines that we have jump seat agreements with. Uh, you can sit in the jump seat, usually domestically. You may not be able to see, sit in the jump seat internationally unless it's your own airline. 
Then you can sit in a jump seat internationally. Of course, there's a lot of security issues. Again, there's jump seats in the back of the airplane. Those are for flight attendants. But most airlines, if you're working for that specific airline, yeah, you can go sit in those jump seats and uh, sit in the back. And think about this. Now, if you're working for, say, let's go with ExpressJet. You're working for ExpressJet and you ride on United Airlines, you're actually an ExpressJet jump seater. So the way it works is you actually have to fill out a jump seat form and you ask for the jump seat. And if they have a jump seat available, they'll usually give it to you. But you, your priority is lower than any other United pilot that shows up. So, for instance, that is not your airplane and vice versa. Say a United pilot decides to go on express jet to fly somewhere. Even though they fly for United, the United pilot doesn't have the priority that you have because that's your airline. Remember, we've changed. Our world has changed. You know, the, the majors don't own all the regional airlines. They're just contracting out to them. So that is your metal, as they call it. That's the term they use. That's your metal. And, uh, yeah, you'd have to ask for the jump seat, and it's all priority based on uh, seniority and also maybe uh, as far as when you showed up to the gate, depending on the different airlines and, and how they do the, the jump seat. Um, but, yeah, with airline partners, yeah, you can jump seat. A lot of times you have to use a seat in the back if you're doing it internationally especially. Um, also, if you work for the, his other question is if you work for a regional, do you get all the benefits that a major pilot has if a major owns a regional? Can you explain those benefits? For the most part, yes, you do. For the most part, there are certain things you get that are more of a benefit at the major, uh, as far as upgrading, say to first class, that type of thing. Uh, but you do get the same benefits. You get to fly around the world for free. Say you're a regional employee, not just a pilot, but say you're a regional employee and you work for, let's say, SkyWest in Denver, and then you retire out of Denver after, say, 10 years of service, that gives you unlimited flights on both United and also uh, as SkyWest as a, as a retiree. But you're not a retiree of United, so there is that, that pecking order there, which is all based on seniority, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful benefit uh, to have a, a regional uh, pilot slot, but also the one neat thing about going to the major is the fact that you're going to be ahead of all the other pilots, even into retirement. Uh, so, you know, e either way, I mean, you're going to be able to to kind of look at the loads and say, okay, yeah, I can, I can't get on. But, but for instance, say uh, one of your partners is Alitalia and you want to go to Rome. Uh, sometimes you don't have access to their system to see how many seats there are, but you sign up for the jump seat. Uh, if all the seats are taken, you won't be able to sit actually up in the front, so you have to be careful there. Um, so anyway, that, that's uh, that's basically how it works. Uh, I don't know if Robert, you want to add uh, anything as far as the jump seating is concerned, but most importantly is you know when you, you ask for the jump seat and be courteous. Yeah, pretty much cur courtesy goes a long way. It's not uh, it's not something that you're uh, you're. Let me. What am I thinking? It's, it's not privilege. something that's. It's a privilege. It's not a right. There you go. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you did. You think you covered it all. Okay. Good. Um, anyway, uh, let's go back to the regionals. He wants to head back there and talk about how does pay compare to left seat uh, regional to the right seat at a major. Um, okay, Robert. I want to know from you and your experience. And you don't. Let's not use hard numbers. Uh, we don't like to give away extra our pay. But maybe if you could do a percentage of uh, how much you're making now. You're in, what, your second year as a major, third year? Oh, man. Percent, really? Math and public. Okay, man. we won't do uh, <laughs> no, you can, You can text I'll me the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Just talked about this. Uh, no, okay. So, uh, no, I would say percentage-wise, uh, right now, so I'm third year 
first officer at my airline, and I was a 10-year – no, I was 11-year captain pay at my regional. So – and, of course, I had Czech airmen, uh, uh, you know, duties and all that. So that was actually extra pay on top of that if you were if you were working as a Czech airman, which is a whole different conversation. But usually Czech airmen usually get a little bit more pay to do what they do. So – uh, I would say that was probably, I was ballpark figure, just breaking about a hundred thousand doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm going to be, uh, at a, a couple more to the tens place is where I'm going to be between, I'll say between 120 and 160 this year, just to give you a rough, a rough idea of, of where I'm at. Is that, is that, that fair sounds, enough? Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think that's a okay. great, a great example of it. Um, yeah, I, I always hate to put people on the spot as far as how much they make, but a good example, I'll, um, as far as how much you can make when I left the, let's see, when I re- left the regionals as a captain, 11 year captain, um, I'm making probably about 75% more now as a fifth-year first officer at a major. And with that said, I could have held captain a couple of years ago, and my pay could be a lot, lot different. But you're asking left seat to regional to right seat to major. Okay, here's the real question I think is what you're asking. And I hear this from guys, especially coming from the airline I was at, like ExpressJet and SkyWest, where they pay really well. A lot of people say they can't afford to go to the majors. I get it. I know you're making the six-figure income, and you're moving into the to the left seat. And for one year, you might be making really bad money. Uh, say you're making like I don't know, say sixty-five thousand or fifty-five thousand a year. Uh, uh, use the low end of the scale, and I, I get it. But you know, the next year you'll probably be making double or eighty percent more. So uh, something that you have to think about is the fact that yeah, this this is. Uh, you can really go much higher in in a re, in a major, excuse me, than a regional, uh, pay wise. Uh, most of the guys I talk to, I'll give those examples because I like to ask people after they leave. Two years later, I don't ask the first year. First year is always tough, but two years later, how is it? And I I will almost inevitably everybody will say I'm making more money than I was at the regional. So it takes about two years to make up to left seat pay, and by the third year. Uh, they're making quite a bit more uh, and maybe 150% of what they're making over at the regionals as a captain. And that, again, depends on if you're a Czech airman, that type of thing. And I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people kind of judge it off of, too, is a break-even year saying, okay, I, I took this much of a pay cut, but how much did it take me to catch up to where I was at had I been still working at that regional? And for me, that was about two years. So from the money I lost going over, it took me about two years of, of earning potential to make up the difference in that and maybe about where I was at if I were to continue, if that makes sense. So, yeah. and yeah. you know, I, I almost hesitate to say this, but there's obviously websites online, um, forums, uh, airline pilot central is one of them that have the pay rates actually there. Uh, you can go and look at every airline and the pay rate. And I'd say you use about 75, you know, hours a month and just gives you a very very rough comparison but again this is that's just straight pay that's not talking 401k contributions uh profit sharing if the airline has profit sharing so like i know that uh, i'm going to be making I, I gave that rough ballpark figure but that includes you know my 401k what the money's given me for 401k contributions I don't think I've, I, I, you know, I honestly don't think I accounted for profit sharing in that. But anyway, so those, so those are all the different 
the different types of deals. That's not just straight pay rate, but typically you're going to get things like profit sharing and a higher 401k contribution at the majors as opposed to at the regionals. So while you might be at the upper end of the regional pay, uh, typically you're going to make it up pretty quickly and just those extra benefits you get working at the majors uh, just based off, you know, how the 401ks are paid and, and the, the difference in how much more in profit sharing you're going to get uh, if, if you're on an airline that does that. So anyways, there's just a lot of things to take into account for. But to answer the question, yes, there is quite a bit different, especially once you get third. Actually, I heard once you get fifth year up is when it really, really starts kicking to make <laughs> a difference, which, I mean, you're pretty much there, Carl, you, you, you know, firsthand. But uh, typically there there is quite a large difference once you get to a more senior FO at a major as opposed to a regional captain. So just as far as percentage, I was kind of doing it while you're talking. I'm actually uh, almost double what I was making. I'm fifth year, and I'm almost double what I was making at a, as a captain in the left seat at a, at a at a regional. And I'm just starting to actually work. You know, I don't work actually. I shouldn't say that. I'm actually taking a lot of time off now. But I'm trying to do more work. I just can't get myself to go. But uh, I do like my days off. This uh, next month, I have 18 days off. That type of thing. This is my worst month ever, and I only have 13 days off. But um, yeah, you just have to you have to realize you're you're gonna have the opportunity to make so much more money at a major. The other thing you have to look at too, and this is kind of an interesting comparison, and you have to think outside the box on this one. There's a lot of low cost airlines out there, or value airlines, whatever you want to call them. You tend to make more money with them than the other guys. If you look at the the dollars per hour, uh, here's a good example. I'd add about twenty percent to your hourly rate. Uh, from all the studies that I've done, all the research I've done, comparing the hourly. So what does that mean? So if you're making 120 bucks an hour, add about 20% to that, and that's what you'll probably make in the year. Because uh, usually what we say is just you know add a thousand to that, and you're you're coming up with your salary. So if you're making 120, uh, you're at three zeros, you're actually making 120,000. Uh, but you really normally can add about 20% to that. Uh, so, you know, you're looking at, you know, 140 to 150 a year uh, if you're actually making 120 an hour with a, a value airline, a, a low-cost carrier, that kind of thing. And why is that? Because they usually run uh, a little bit short on pilots and they they anticipate pilots to be picking up trips uh, and to doing trips at time and a half, double time, and even triple time sometimes. And that's where it adds up uh, very quickly. Not that major pilots don't do that too. It's just that that's kind of a modus operandi for some of the low-cost carriers. Uh, you can definitely make a lot more than that hourly there. Uh, we're, uh, Robert, can we continue on? I think we have a couple more questions. We'll try to finish these up. I think you have a couple more minutes. So, um, Let's see. Will airlines major or regional pay for training starting from nothing to flying with them? As a private pilot, can you do non-red flights like banatoning or flying for charity? Actually, let's go back to the first question. Airlines do uh, are doing a programs they're starting to do programs in the united states but as far as pay for training um you will be paying for training not the airline paying for training if if that's what you're trying to get out it hasn't gone to that point where the airline will actually pay for all the training training that you'll see people pay for is like the regionals will pay for your atp that type of thing um and so just consider that it's not quite there yet it may happen someday 
I don't see it because we still have so many pilots at the regionals that the majors can pull from. Uh, so I'm really not thinking they're going to actually pay for the training other than obviously they pay for your training when you get hired uh, to train you in the aircraft you're going to fly. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this and then we'll, we'll finish up here as a private pilot. Can you do non-rev flights like banner towing or fly for a charity? Of course you can just be careful because uh, you asked another question coming up here. Is it legal to do things for business if they cover flight costs and don't pay you? It depends. There's a fine line here. Uh, is it incidental to your business or not? You know, it's like, uh, when you own an airplane, are you actually putting it out there? Are you, you paying someone to fly for you? They should have a a commercial pilot certificate or do you own the airplane use it for your business then you can fly the plane are you being compensated for that then you have to have a commercial license are you not getting compensated just getting are you just using it for you know reimbursed on the expenses that type of thing you have to really be careful i would get with an accountant and talk to the accountant because this is a heck of a big red flag also think about your your license you know do you how about doing traffic watch yeah you need you're getting paid you're being compensated what if somebody's paying for all your flight costs? You're being compensated. So if you can say, am I getting any compensation for this? It could be money or not. It's probably a commercial operation, and you need to have a commercial certificate. Uh, Robert, I don't know if you've ever run into any of these problems with people flying who've done that gray line, but you have to be super careful, don't you? Yeah, isn't there something in there? Well, it might have changed. It's been a while since I looked at it, but like pro rate of share, mm -hmm. um, that it has. To, I mean, isn't that kind of apply in there? It does, it does. But then the the one place that you can get in trouble is when someone uses it within their corporation and writes it off as an expense and sends a check out to somebody. It brings up a, a red flag. So, so yes, there's a pro rate of share as far as you sharing the flight. But I think he's more saying, hey, I don't want to pay anything. I want them to cover everything. That's something you have to be rather careful of because even say you only they only pay for half your flight uh you're still if the other person's paying then that's compensation so you have to be really careful there it's obvious doing the traffic watch if you're getting paid you're getting paid that's yeah I, I pretty much thought that was kind of like on the uh yeah not 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 something you would want to do list so no. that's, that was my take of it so i i don't know i thought yeah you had to be at least you had to be putting in some money into the the operation to be considered private and and that's that only yes, and that's owning the airplane. Say, say you're a partner in the airplane, but then if you charge somebody for the use of the airplane, all of a sudden it's a commercial operation. Yes, uh, exactly. so now you know if you you finally bill somebody else, be extremely extremely careful with this. Uh, I don't want to see you get in any trouble, so be careful there. Um, but anyway, the as far as uh, the last question he has, as far as. Uh, uh, can you uh, carry a firearm as a pilot? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways. Um, there's also, say you're flying in-state, uh, interstate. There's two. There's a lot of different rules that apply there. There's uh, the NRA has a good website on carrying uh, aircraft, uh, um, excuse me, um, any kind of a weapon in an aircraft. Uh, but also there's the other policy as being an FFDO, and that's a totally different thing. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a different story. That's when a uh, federal flight deck officer, and that's been approved by the TSA. Uh, but, uh, Robert, I think everybody, I I've seen people getting in trouble with this, even uh, federal flight deck officers. So you got to be real careful, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, you know, I think, I, I think his question maybe was for the, you know, if you're flying just uh, normal general aviation and yeah, it's definitely legal. Just, you got to know your state laws and, and transportation of a firearm. I mean, if you're flying somewhere like let's say New Jersey, over you're flying over New Jersey, but then 
you know, you had to make an emergency landing in New Jersey. Is your firearm going to be legal? You know, I mean, do you have hollow point ammunition there? Because in New Jersey, that's illegal. So you got to be very careful and make sure you plan that out. But I think that's beyond the scope we want to get into because that's there's a whole can of worms when you're talking yeah. firearm law. Yeah, like I said, NRA has some good examples on their website. And, uh, yeah, I, I usually tell people don't do it because uh, interstate commerce is interesting. And same thing with, with uh, transporting different uh, alcohol, food, et cetera. Uh, there's things you have to, to worry about there. Uh, but on a positive note, very good questions, very interesting questions, and keep them coming. Uh, if you have questions, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Robert, uh, hey, thanks thanks a lot for helping us out with questions again. I'm sure you're going to be be back to answer some more. And if you have specific answers or questions for Robert, he has a lot of experience uh, helping people, especially in the recruiting area. He did a lot of interviews. I know you did that, Robert, that's for sure. Yeah, just just no math, no math no in public. <laughs> you know, I should have hit you up with that one. That was horrible. I, I feel bad now. <laughs> math in public it's, is a bad thing. <laughs> and we're, we're airline pilots and, and very sophisticated aircraft where the math is done for us. This is it's horrible to say. There are There is math, by the way, you do in an airplane. Uh, it's just probably not this kind of math, you know. And. I, I can do three to one, man. Three to one. All right. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I'm that. This many, this many feet in altitude, and I got this much distance. I can do that. But anything else is just too much. Too so, much. So that'll be the question for the next episode. Does anybody know what we're talking about with three to one rule? And uh, we'll leave it at that. We're not going to explain it. If you want us to explain it, please write us, and we will explain what the three to one rule is. Look it up. It's uh, pretty interesting. It's one of those things, by the way, you will have to know for an interview. So make sure you know the three to one rule. Uh, Robert, this has been a lot of fun. We won't do math in public ever again. Uh, but we will. <laughs> we definitely want to have you back on and and talk some more about some of these questions. Again, we're trying to catch up. We might do some longer episodes like we did here, uh, just to to move forward in, with these questions. Uh, any any last comments before we move on for the new year, Robert? No, I just hope everyone has a great new year. And uh, you know, uh, like you're saying, it's a great opportunity to evaluate your goals and see where you want to go. So uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Robert, and uh, thanks to all their other co-hosts, and thanks for the questions. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, don't forget to go out there, and also our Facebook page. I really want to meet you, uh, and come say hi to me, even if it's a wave uh, and I'm at an event. Just come on up to me and say hi, uh, and, and I'd love to talk to you, and I'd love to have you on the show if you have something you want to talk about. And remember, do something today uh, to move forward in your career. Take one step today. Take that one step in this new year, this first day of the new year, to move towards your career goal. It may be a large leap. It may be a small step. No matter what it is, keep moving. Keep moving forward. You'll learn something along the way. If it's something simple like ordering a book, like I'm about to do to learn something, or maybe it's something like listening to a podcast, talking to friends, getting on the Internet and looking up the things that we talked about, do something now so that you can move forward in your career. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.